Today's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is brought to you by HelloFresh. Listeners, do you feel like you're stuck in a dinner rut? With HelloFresh, you get fresh pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your front door. Skip all those trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there is something for everyone to enjoy. All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. Now, Christian, one of the reasons I love HelloFresh so much is I love their variety. But I'm not going to lie, last week, I must have had the old school barbecue pork Slappy Joe's three dinners in a row with the pickled onions and the potato wedges with the Chipotle ranch. It's just delicious comfort food done right. Well, you know me, I've always enjoyed a hot bowl of soup, so I've been trying a bunch of options. Most recently, their Italian wedding soup with meatballs, simply amazing. So listeners, go to our link in our show notes and get $80 off, including free shipping on HelloFresh, the number one meal kit. That's HelloFresh, the recipe for deliciousness. Nerds, it's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching badass rockabilly track. Now loading superhero catchphrases. You have chosen. It's a me. It's a Mario. Time to save the world with some wrestling, video games, movies, horror, and more. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is The Amazing Nerd Show. All right, Christian, before we start the show, with Halloween right around the corner, tis the season for our fourth annual Horror Month. That means along with our normally scheduled programming for the entire month of October, the show will be doing tons of horror-related countdowns and films, video games, and even wrestling. So make sure to tune in next week for The Amazing Nerd Show's fourth annual Horror Month. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend today. But also on this week's podcast, we're going to be breaking down the latest episode of What If? Plus, I've got a review of Star Wars Visions. We're also talking about what went down at the Nintendo Direct press conference and, of course, going over the first night of AEW's Grand Slam. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. And also, this week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Liquid Death. All right, Christian, before we get to the news this week, you know what we gotta do first, man. Well, let me guess. Pop open a refreshing ice-cold tall boy. That's right, Christian. It's time for some Liquid Death. You know, Damon, Liquid Death uses aluminum cans, which can actually be pretty cold to hold. But luckily, they have these badass koozies, which you can get by using our promo code AMAZINGNERD when you buy a case at liquiddeath.com and keep from freezing off your hands while you brutally murder your thirst. And don't forget, man, they're bringing death to plastic bottles because of their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans that they also donate 10% of profits from to help kill plastic pollution. Most plastic you throw in a recycling bin actually just gets sent to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle. 
but Liquid Death's aluminum cans are infinitely recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities. Hey man, and just like I said last week, I love sitting on my porch blasting some Death Angel as I pound back ice cold tall boys of Liquid Death and then smashing them on my head, scaring the shit out of the neighbors. I can't wait to read a police blotter on public disturbance by menacing man angrily drinking water. Don't tell me how to live my life, Christian. <laughs> right now, you can head over to liquiddeath.com, and with your purchase, you can use our promo code AMAZINGNERD, and you'll get a free koozie two-pack. Or hey, you can be like me and head over to your local 7-Eleven or Whole Foods nationwide and pick up Liquid Death today and brutally murder your thirst in style with your very own ice cold can of liquid death let's get into the news every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum we're not mild-mannered reporters we're mere podcasters with opinions well first up david it looks like disney plus day is coming so yes, mark your calendars. Disney Plus Day is November 12th in celebration of the second anniversary of the streaming service. The day will feature the debut of Shang-Chi and Jungle Cruise and is also expected to feature tons of new programming tied to the present and the future of some of your favorite Disney franchises. Some of the more notable happenings the day will bring is a brand new Home Alone film, I'm guessing a remake of some sort called Home Sweet Home Alone. What an awful title. Um, also, we're supposed to get an all new short from The Simpsons, a Marvel special look, which most likely will have some additional footage from Hawkeye, and maybe a first look from Miss Marvel, which is now supposed to be rumored to be debuting in February sometime. And last but not least, a Star Wars special look, which, fingers crossed, may include a teaser for Book of Boba Fett, and perhaps more. I mean, I'm looking forward to all the announcements. I'm assuming they gotta give us something for Boba Fett, though. I it, it's so close, right? Yeah, no, I agree. December? Yeah, it's supposed to be Christmas, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, at that point, I'm sure you know we're gonna get at least some kind of teaser and maybe something for Obi Wan because I believe that's in the can too. Yeah, I mean. They could at least do like one of those behind the scenes type trailers or something. Yeah, because that's supposed to be next year. So mm. I don't know. Here's to hoping. It also looks like the upcoming Flash film will be getting a HBO Max spinoff series. So yes, apparently Sasha Kelly's Supergirl will reportedly be getting her own HBO Max series after debuting in the Flash film and Michael Keaton might be also part of the show. Uh, this is being reported by the Hashtag Show. They're saying that the series will dive into the backstory of Supergirl while also carrying over the relationship and bond that Supergirl and Michael Keaton's character formed in the Flash film. But then I guess there's mixed reports because the outlet then goes on to say that Michael Keaton's character might not actually make an appearance in the show because this series takes place before the Flash film. So I don't know. I mean, take this all with a grain of salt. Also, another character definitely not making an appearance is Superman. Um, I'm guessing this will all kind of make sense once we actually see the Flash films, so it is what it is at this point. But it's pretty cool getting another Supergirl series. I love how HBO Max is like doubling down with all the DC like, you know, films and series that they have on the horizon right now. And honestly, more the merrier, right? I agree as long as they're all good, you know? <laughs> I, I just hope that they're not rushing into anything. That's just my always, my bracer there is like, are they are they doing too much too soon? Just uh -huh. because I imagine they see the success Disney Plus is having, um, I, I, I can totally picture them trying to capitalize on something like that. 
And that's kind of like how they shot themselves in the foot originally with the DCEU. Yes. Um, where they were trying to rush this like joint universe and it never quite clicked. Um, so I guess I just come from a different generation where I still get excited, you know, for all the, you know, insane amount of like superhero content that we're you know, getting on a monthly basis, um, you know, because growing up. We had the comic books, some, you know, okay cartoon series, um, and that was really it. So I still get excited when they announce stuff, even though I know it's definitely going to be a mixed bag. Um, so I don't know, man. I'm just still happy that, like, the superhero genre is still going on strong, you know, at this point, um, if not stronger than ever. Um, but I agree 100% where you do kind of feel like is DC like counting, you know, their chickens before they hatch um, with all these series spinning off movies that haven't even like debuted yet. Exactly. So, but I mean, there's also a world where that, you know, series could become its own thing regardless of, you know, the movie not necessarily being that. And with how things are right now, you know, you want to start getting things in production probably before it's too late. So I, I, I don't. Blame. You know, when I was a kid, we didn't really know something was coming out until like the trailer, you know, popped up before, you know, whatever film we were seeing in the theater at the time. Nowadays, with like a 24-7 news cycle, we're finding about projects while they're just like hitting pre-production, you know, when they're just literally an idea in a writer's room. So and I, you got to wonder, like, has it always been kind of this way? You know, up next, the third installment of the Fantastic Beast films gets a title and a new release date. So I guess the official Harry Potter film Twitter account released a short teaser debuting the movie's title, Fantastic Beasts, The Secret of Dumbledore. Also, I guess instead of debuting uh, July 15th, 2022, Warner Brothers has bumped up its release to April 15th, 2022, which I guess is good news if you're not a mogul like me. I guess for me, it's been so long now that I'm like, I'm a little bit detached from this franchise with the Fantastic Beasts films. But at the same time, I am curious what they would do with Dumbledore's story. There's a lot of things that, you know, she had said about the character after the books and stuff like that. And I'm kind of curious how they handle it um, in future films. So we'll see. Also, isn't uh, Mads Mikkelsen taking over for Johnny Depp in this one? Yes, he is supposed to be taking over. So, well, I mean, Mads is an awesome actor, so I mean, we'll see how that works out. All right, Christian. So this story just came out of nowhere and it's definitely more up your alley. So We'll let you give the listeners the uh, 411. Uh, we're getting a Super Mario Brothers film? Yeah, straight out of today's um, Nintendo Direct presentation, Miyamoto himself came out stating that Illumination will be making a Super Mario movie. Um, an animated one, at least. I thought it was live action at first, so I freaked out, but thank God it's, <laughs> Off my it's animated. Christian <laughs> <laughs> says to me, Chris Pratt is way too tall to be playing Mario. <laughs> I was like, dumbass, it's animated. <laughs> you can tell how much I paid attention during uh, that portion of the uh, event. <laughs> but speaking of Chris Pratt, he is playing Mario. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy will be Peach. Jack Black's going to be playing Bowser. Charlie Day is going to be the infamous Luigi. Um, and then Donkey Kong was going to be Seth Rogen. So this is something that we kind of talked about last year when we were doing our like worst video game like movie countdown of all time. And of course, you know, the much berated, you know, Super Mario Brothers film, of course, made the list. Uh, 
we just were both kind of going back and forth like we can't believe nintendo hasn't tried it again since mm-hmm. and we were kind of talking about like how like it just feels like a no-brainer to do like an animated film because you could totally just like spin this off and then nintendo could have its very own like film universe if they wanted to so it really just felt like they were leaving like billions of dollars on the table now i mean nintendo's not hurting for money by any means but still i just i mean why not because, like, if this does well, it just feels like a natural that we would get, like, a Legend of Zelda film somewhere down the line. No, exactly. It always feels like there's just so much money on the table for Nintendo to grab. Like, because they have so many high-profile, like, characters on their... Iconic. on their Iconic. Like, Metroid could be getting films. Yes. There's so many different characters that they have that they could be playing around with. Um, and, like, imagine if this were to be, you know, if they were to animate it in a 3D way that it was, like, almost similar to the Sonic films, then you could have Sonic versus Mario at some point. You could do all these types of crazy things, uh, like, they've been doing in the games for so many years. Uh, I'm assuming this is going to be a straight animated film, but you're saying you wouldn't mind seeing it to be kind of a mix between, like, CGI and, you know, live action? I think there's potential there, especially after what we've seen with now both Pokemon and Sonic, that they could play around with something. Now, I don't want the characters of Mario to be (laughs) like, Because I was like, well, then Chris Pratt is definitely too tall. (laughs) (laughs) I want those characters to remain animated, but I could totally picture, you know, because even in the game, when Mario comes to, like, um, New York City, he's still Mario, but everyone else is, like, regular-sized people. So it's definitely, like, they have that already built in. It's established. So, I don't know. It's something they can play around with. Well, and like you said, I mean, if the animated film does well, it doesn't mean that they don't eventually do a live-action film somewhere down the line. You know, because I could see, like, Legend of Zelda working as a great animated film, but then also as a fantastic, like, live-action film also. Mm -hmm. Because on that note, I could see, like, Legend of Zelda working as like a great animated film but also as a fantastic live action film no there's definitely enough lore to create a well-crafted universe with zelda in general so and and just even with mario alone all the Mm -hmm. you know possible spin-offs you know because there's so many different characters that eventually got their own game that originated with mario so you know like i said it just feels like they were leaving money on the table for years so but yeah there was plenty more uh, big announcements from nintendo direct and we'll go over that more in christian's corner well it looks like the mcu might have casted their werewolf by night so according to writer daniel richman uh anthony ramos is one of the actors being considered to play the lead in the disney plus halloween special that was announced this past august ramos is best known for his role in the mega hit hamilton and also for starring in the heights so ramos is rumored to be playing the jake gomez version of the character who debuted in the comics in 2020 uh he's a teenager who discovers he has a similar curse to jack russell though this curse is more rooted in native american mythology i actually wouldn't be surprised if the character actually debuts in the upcoming moon knight series first just because of the character's close ties well at least you know the jack russell version of werewolf by night's close ties to moon knight but only time will tell you know what anthony ramos was a bright star in a very shitty movie in the heights so i definitely think (laughs) 
yeah, he could be a good casting role for this. You I really no, hated no, that character. fucking movie. I hated that movie. That's <laughs> the second time you shit all over that film. Because <laughs> someone else just got casted or possibly casted from that, right? Yeah, it was um, someone for Batgirl, or was it? Yes. It was, I think it was Batgirl, yeah. Batgirl, I can't remember the actress's name yeah. right now, but and I'm not going to Google it. But yes, yes. <laughs> you really hate that fucking movie. The movie but... sucks. <laughs> I'm sure it's not the actress' fault, though. No, not at all. Well, Damon, it's time to sharpen those fangs because another Lost Boys film is on its way. So, yeah, this is from The Hollywood Reporter. Warner Brothers is planning a Lost Boys remake with a modern day take starring Noah Jupe and Jaden Martell. So Jupe was part of both of the Quiet Place films and he was also in Honey Boy. Uh, Martell was, of course, part of the It ensemble cast and he also starred in Knives Out. Attached to direct the film is Jonathan Entwistle uh, for from I'm not okay with this fame. I believe he produced and directed a bunch of those episodes. Uh, I'm still holding out hope that that series somehow has a revival of some sort because uh, it's still just it amazes me that that got canceled by Netflix, but whatever. Uh, also attached to write is Randy McKinnon, who's also working on Static Shock for DC and Warner Brothers. Now, I don't know if you remember, but a while back, there was supposed to be like a Lost Boys TV series in the works. Well, apparently that pilot was never picked up by CW. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, I'm curious to see if the actors will be playing, uh, you know, the Jason Patrick and Corey Haim roles in the film, uh, uh, Michael and Sam. But maybe they go the route of having them play the Frog Brothers, for that matter. Uh, it'd be kind of cool to see, like, everything through the Frog Brothers' eyes. But they could also be playing vampires. Um, I love the Lost Boys, so I just hope that they do the original film justice. You know, I think until you mentioned who was, like, you know, running on the team, I, I wasn't that interested in this project. But I could totally picture Jonathan Entwistle making a great Lost Boys film, uh, just based off of what we got with um, I'm Not Okay With This. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's the only reason I'm excited about this uh-huh. is because I know how talented he is. Because uh, otherwise, I'd be like, oh, come on, not a fucking remake. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's kind of a film that doesn't really need a remake. Um, you know, if anything, just, you know, do a reimagining, whatever the hell that means. As long as it doesn't come out like the craft, it's fine. Oh, God, uh. no. Jesus. <laughs> or the hundreds of other bad remakes that we've yes. gotten in the horror world. <laughs> But there have been other great, you know, remakes that have actually worked. So Mm. I'm open to it. All right, Christian, let's go ahead and break down the seventh episode of Marvel's What If. Warning, spoiler alert. Major spoilers for Marvel's What If. You have been warned. Vandal, tell me, is that butt ugly popsicle stick talking to me? Bring it on in. I can't believe you came, Loki. You are the absolute best. You're my brother from another mother, man. I mean that. I mean it. Ah, brothers forever. Brothers forever. Forever. (laughs) The party was definitely on this week as we got a look at what could be considered a more self-centered version of Thor. As in this universe, Thor is a little bit less interested in playing hero, and we might actually have the absence of Loki being in his life to thank for that. So while on paper, this is definitely an intriguing, like, concept of you know, how the relationships in our lives kind of shape the person we become. Um, The execution this episode, definitely for me at least, felt very lackluster um, and kind of a waste of a good concept. But I don't know, and maybe I'm just being too harsh. (laughs) 
because it was fun, but it just felt like a one note joke that got kind of stale by the end. Like it was, it was almost too cartoonish. Like it felt like a bad sitcom. It just, for me, it felt way too cartoonish and it was just filled with like bad, almost cringeworthy, like sitcom humor. Um, it, it was such a like juxtaposition compared to like the last like three or four episodes that were pretty fucking dark. <laughs> so I don't know if that's kind of my issue with this, but I don't, how did you feel about it overall, Vision? Overall, it's just such night and day to what this series has shown me so far. You know, yeah. like especially after that Doctor Strange episode, I yes. like this and that are so different in tone and just how they like interact with the world and the world's rules. Like it felt like they broke a lot of their own concepts and rules in this episode just to make something as fun as possible. And that's it, what I just, you know, grinded up against. It was like Marvel doing a crossover with like like Looney Tunes, yeah. like tone-wise, <laughs> honestly. The title of the episode should have been like, you know, what if the MCU was run by like, you know, the Looney Tune writers? Because that's what it really felt like. Just a little mm. like too comedic and on the nose for my taste. Like, I don't even know what the moral of the story was. <laughs> you know, I mean, besides the whole idea of like, you know, how different relationships shape who we are. But, like, I don't know. Like, that didn't even feel like it really landed. No, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then I, I was I, like, and we'll talk about this later, but, like, I don't even know why the Watcher was there, you know, uh -huh. until the very end. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this was the definition of, like, a filler episode. Yes. You know, <laughs> oh, until, absolutely. like, that last moment, this was 100% filler. No, that's exactly what I was saying as I watched it. I was like, this is like filler as filler gets. So, <laughs> But this week's episode kicks off similarly to the introduction of Thor in the MCU as we see Jane Foster and Darcy in New Mexico studying atmospheric disturbances in hopes of discovering alien life forms. But this time, instead of Thor landing at their van, him and his buds hit the Las Vegas Strip looking for the party of a lifetime. After all, he is the self-proclaimed party prince in this universe. You know, since a lot of these have been like copying, you know, the very first like moments in their films, it, it was noticeable that Dr. Like Svelte Zelvig wasn't in this episode at all. Like they he, mentioned him once, but he's not in it. Yeah, they never explain why that is, yeah. right? Because in that original opening scene, he's definitely part of that. So, yeah. right? There's not even a throwaway line kind of explaining his character away. So that is interesting. Maybe the writers didn't want to have to deal with like kind of writing around the character and like having to even have a moment where they you know, kind of write him off. Uh -huh. You know, the, the story, <laughs> pretty much, you know, since it is only like, what, 30 minutes long. But he is such a big part of the original Thor film, so it mm -hmm. was noticeable that he wasn't there. Like in most episodes, this is when we get a small explanation from the Watcher as to why this Thor is different than the one we are used to. In this universe, Thor has grown up without the god of mischief, Loki, constantly putting a thorn in his side. Instead, Odin actually had given Loki back to the Frost Giants. And so Thor actually grew up without learning a lot of great life lessons and, you know, having a very different lifestyle in the end. Like I said, it's a great concept, one that feels like you could go like so many different interesting directions with. Just not this one. <laughs> I, I just don't care about Party Thor, I guess. I don't know. They just took this like self-centered, immature version of Thor and decided to just play it for jokes. 
and it kind of feels like a wasted opportunity in the long run. Before the epic party begins, we start from the bedside of Odin as he falls into the Odin sleep to revitalize his power. But as soon as he's out, apparently so is Frigga, Thor's mother, as she plans to go on a girl's trip, leaving good boy Thor to his studies and kingdom. With only one command for her son to follow, Frigga tells Thor to behave and, you know, no parties. Of course, as this episode began, Thor had no plan of following that rule anyway. No, instead he takes his friends to the most backwater realm he can think of, that being Midgard, aka Earth. I definitely enjoy that, you know, the perception of Earth that it's kind of like the scummiest planet in the galaxy. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy that joke at least. On Earth, an absolute rager begins as aliens from across the MCU all begin to appear on Earth to, you know, party with the best. Of course, this scene is chock full of Easter eggs as we see everything from Howard the Duck to Scrolls to hell, even Skurds gets to have some fun with the party prince Thor. So it was definitely cool seeing all of Marvel's like, you know, space heroes and villains all show up in one place. They're all really just glorified background characters in this episode and, and don't really have much to do besides Howard, you know? <laughs> <laughs> now, it's very weird because a lot of them just are doing things that you wouldn't expect them to do either throughout the episode. It's so all the name of partying, Christian. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> a good rave brings the whole galaxy together, apparently. I guess. Resident human Jane Foster arrives to make contact with who she determines brought the energy signature she saw before. During their first interaction, Jane questions if Thor could have been responsible for the death of another system as right before it disappeared, the same energy signature could be seen on her records. However, Thor ignores the question and successfully woos Jane into partying with him as we get a montage of debauchery with DJ Grandmaster providing the soundtrack to the night. So I really thought this is where this episode was going, that like this version of Thor is so reckless that he's literally destroying planets throughout the galaxy. Yes. Almost like Galactus style, but all in the name of party. <laughs> but like, they don't even lean into that. Like. <laughs> He's like, oh, no, they explained that away with, like, literally one sentence. So, I, I don't know. I don't know. And it's like, I feel like Jane would be a little bit more upset with him being okay with partying a planet to death. You yes. know? Because it never comes back up. And she just defends him for the rest of the episode. Yeah, this story doesn't really do Jane, like, any favors as a character here. Because she almost comes off as self-centered and selfish if as Thor, if not more so because she's willing to risk her whole planet like in the name of love or I mean really puppy love because she doesn't really know the guy because uh -huh. <laughs> it's like literally after one night, right? Exactly. Jane Foster the next morning finds herself not only hungover and surrounded by even more characters from the space side of Marvel, but also being hounded by tons of urgent phone calls, which eventually leads to a bang at the door at their Las Vegas hotel. It turns out it's Maria Hill who's come knocking, as she has taken temporary command of S.H.I.E.L.D. after an unfortunate party accident where Nick Fury attempted to stop Thor and well got accidentally knocked out by everyone's favorite rock man, Korg. This is where the episode jumped the shark for me because you just see him fly off like Wiley e. Coyote or something. I was like, all right, 
sure. That's what we're doing, huh? I was always expecting that little like star that happens like when you see Team Rocket fly off into yes. the sky. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Being brought in for questioning by S.H.I.E.L.D., Maria Hill hopes Jane Foster will be the key to stopping whatever is going on, as Coulson explains that since Thor's arrival, there has been a global party fever beginning as the whole world seems to be spiraling into an endless chaotic party. Jane attempts to protect Thor though here as she doesn't see him as a threat, but Hill is unconvinced and decides to call in Earth's last resort as she grabs the infamous pager Captain Marvel had given Nick Fury. Meanwhile, Thor has flown over to Paris for, you know, some late night crepes as we see him taking selfies with Aisha from Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Enter in this universe's Loki in all his frost giant glory, here to absolutely bro out with his proclaimed brother from another mother, Thor. But before the bro down can truly commence, party pooper Captain Marvel arrives on the scene to bring an end to the festivities. This begins a brawl between two of MCU's strongest characters as they literally punch each other across the globe. The fight ultimately ends in a stalemate back in France as Thor keeps Carol down using his hammer and, well, Thor gets the entire crowd that's there to verbally mock Danvers as he heads back into the party. I will say this did make me want to see a live action version of this fight. Um, I'm glad later on they brought up the fact that Captain Marvel was like not utilizing her full powers mm -hmm. also because I was like, I don't think, you know, she would be that easy to take down. So I I'm glad that they brought that up later on and kind of clarified that, you know, she's trying to protect the planet, you know. Exactly. <laughs> um, it was also cool to see Frost Giants Loki. I thought that was a great design for him, at least. So I'm curious, and I should probably know the answer to this. That's not Loki's actual, like true form right like because in the comic books he's kind of like he's a frost giant but he's like the runt of the litter so he's just like normal size and i believe that's why Luffy has him kind of hidden away from the other frost giants when he like eventually falls to odin mm -hmm. um and then odin finds him i don't know if that's different in the mcu or if it's just different here in this story since it since it is a like multiverse you know, tail. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is his true form at all, but I mean, if it's possible for him to become giant, I, I, Loki's also the type of person that would totally just make himself look whatever is, you know, around him. Well, and so, he has that ability. We know that. Yeah. But he also, he was raised not knowing that he was a frost giant. True. So, you know, I, I, I feel like stature-wise, they're probably following, you know, the comics storyline. Carol then goes to meet up with S.H.I.E.L.D. after being completely humiliated by Thor, and ultimately has to come up with a new plan, as she states that she could actually beat Thor, but the power she would need to do so could cause massive collateral damage. But eventually, they do come up with a plan to draw out Thor to a, you know, more secluded space as to not get any civilians hurt. But Jane again tries to fight against S.H.I.E.L.D.'s plans to hurt Thor, and ultimately gets relieved of her services in doing so. I'm glad Jane finally came to her senses here, but it seems like she's just as concerned about Thor as she is about the planet. Uh-huh. <laughs> and maybe no, even- Darcy's calling e her out in that whole scene, so- Even more so, right? <laughs> so, uh-huh. I, I don't know. Sure. 
Of course, knowing the plan that S.H.I.E.L.D. has, Jane Foster attempts to reach Thor and warn him, but Frost Giant Loki accidentally mishandles Thor's cell phone uh, before she can actually get the warning to him. Darcy, in the meantime, laments, you know, how she wishes they could just, you know, call on Thor's parents, like they would do in a movie where the party has just gotten completely out of hand. And boy, has this party gotten out of hand. And boy, has this party gotten out of hand as we get, again, a glimpse of, you know, all the damage going on across the world, as there are monuments being defaced or even destroyed at this time. This feels like more of a plot for, uh, like, one of those kid and play house party movies than it does, mm -hmm. like, an MCU film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But there's just no, like, explanation for how Surtur would be there or why, you know? Like, it's just so nonsensical what's going on yeah. in this episode. Yeah, he's pretty much a psych egg in this episode. Because mm -hmm. why wouldn't he be causing Ragnarok on Asgard right now with both Thor and Odin, like, incapacitated? Maybe I'm just taking all this way too seriously, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> with help of an off-screen Dr. Selvig, Jane actually figures out a way to call out to Heimdall and gets teleported via Bifrost in order to meet Thor's mother Frigga and ask her for help. All the while, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s plan is in full motion as Danvers forcibly captures and drags Thor to a secluded area. Hill, however, not seeming to trust Captain Marvel, readies nukes to be fired upon both Marvel and Thor. But right before she gets a chance to actually launch them, Frigga using dark magic creates a hologram in Thor's presence, diffusing the fight as Thor attempts to cover up the fact that he went to Earth by telling her it was all for, you know, a study project, you know, something to study the planet. Frigga, still not convinced, ends her girl's trip early and makes her way to Earth. So I'm not going to rant about the fact that she was able to use her car stereo to call Heimdall. They figured I, it out. They figured out a frequency, David. Sure, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? That's not how any of this works. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> we're going to let it go. Yeah, I mean, one of the writers was definitely a fan of like 80s teenage comedies. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, fine. You know, mom's on her way. Gotta clean up. Thor, now having to scramble, has to get the entire planet cleaned up before his mother gets to Earth. While Loki abandons them, the rest of Thor's party guests, in fear of Frigga, begin cleaning up after themselves in a race against time. Upon Frigga's arrival, she sees Thor teaching his fellow study mates, and to actually solidify him telling the truth, Carol even tries to help the lie and pretends to give him, you know, all the information about Earth. Of course, Frigga still finds out about the party as Thor's hammer returns to him covered in party beads, um, graffiti, and someone else's boxers. This is like the, the scene in the bad sitcom where like the vase that they glued together falls apart. Uh-huh. You know, like, <laughs> and mom finds out. Um, okay. <sighs> sure. It didn't land, I'll tell you what. Uh... uh. And maybe I'm just being a crank. I don't know. <laughs> it's just such a drastic tone shift compared to all the uh -huh. other episodes. You know, maybe if this episode took place earlier on in the season, I'd yes. be more forgiving towards it. But with only like three episodes left, 
it just once again just feels like such a waste the episode actually ends with thor visiting jane once more with a bouquet of flowers and a hope to continue their relationship even though she called his mom on him she does still agree to go on a date with him and everything seems you know hunky-dory well until a portal opens with an army of ultrons and vision with the infinity stones walking through it and that is where the episode closes this feels like such a huge moment to be just like tacked on at the end of this episode, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, why did you choose this episode to put this moment in? You know, I, cause I thought it was a huge holy shit moment, like seeing like all these Ultron like drones and then like thinking that you're like also witnessing Ultron, you know, returning to the MCU, but then like the big reveal that it's actually like vision and some kind of like Ultron, like, you know, armor or a hybrid of some sort, you know, and the fact that they have all of the Infinity Stones. <laughs> so I'm guessing this is probably the catalyst that will get the Watcher now involved and him, like, you know, assembling this, like, multiverse, like, Avengers team. But, like, after this episode, I mean, who the fuck knows, right? <laughs> I figure next episode will be the explanation of how this all came to be. Mm -hmm. And then we'll get the, you know, the team up in the final episode. Yeah, like the Watcher finally stepping in. I definitely just think that they, the reason this episode is so far is because they thought like, oh, we'll give them a break from the darkness and, you know, they'll think that this is going to be a happy ending, but it's not. And it's supposed to be a good twist. But this, I don't know, the, the episode was too goofy. I it didn't need a break, man. I was loving yeah. all the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, up to this episode... I feel like the season's been fantastic. I've loved pretty much every single one of the stories they've told, really, until they decided to go full-blown Bugs Bunny with this shit. So, um, but I'm sure they're going to right the ship and we'll get back on track with the next two episodes. So it doesn't ruin the series for me by any means. And maybe I'm just being fucking cranky. I don't know. The episode just didn't work for me, I guess. I mean, I don't think you're being cranky. There's just a lot of elements in this episode where it feels like they betrayed some characters and they made a bunch of, they just, they were just trying to have as much fun as they could and it just didn't work for me either. You know, like Jane Foster should have, should have had a little bit more pushback to a planet being destroyed and her possible planet being destroyed next instead of just falling in love. Like, I felt like that last scene, she should have been like, no, I'm not going to date you because of this reason. Yes. <laughs> At least. <laughs> You're a very scary space god who's uh -huh. incredibly irresponsible. <laughs> I mean, she had to go to his mom, for God's sakes, just to solve this problem. You know, it's... <laughs> I don't see what's redeemable about that right now. Yeah, he's definitely not probably the right guy to date. I mean, him being uh -huh. this all-powerful, <laughs> you know, space Viking who's incredibly immature and scared of his mother. But I agree, it seemed like they're more interested in parroting the MCU than like telling a bona fide story. Cause this felt like something you'd see in the pages of like Mad Magazine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Like I said, maybe I'm just being cranky. I don't know. But we do still have two more episodes to go over in the next few weeks. Uh, hopefully they'll wash the taste of this episode right on out. I'm sure they will. And now a message from our sponsor, Manscaped. Attention listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston, do we have a pew problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new lawnmower 4.0. Blast your pew to the next planet with the performance package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. 
Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code AMAZING. Christian, I'm a hairy bastard, and one day my wife said enough's enough and got me my very own Manscaped lawnmower. I went from being a Wookiee to being as smooth as Lando. So you know my Bad Batch was more than ready for the next mission when I got my Lawnmower 4.0. Ready for an out-of-world experience, fellas? Look no further than the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped that has just taken off in not only the US, but Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. First scheduled for liftoff, new Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. This spaceship is here to guide you on a journey to trim your body, balls, butt, and even your anus. This fourth generation trimmer also features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch, can engage a travel lock, and is even waterproof. The Lawnmower 4.0 also has a 4000K LED spotlight you can turn on and off when needed for a more precise shave throughout your travels across the universe. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker. It's like having a little astronaut to chop your worst weeds in your nose and ears. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9000 RPM. RPM motor powered 360 degree rotary dual blade system. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides skin safe technology which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Don't forget to use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver to help your little planets be on their A-game while feeling the sun's heat. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Abort Harry Balls and Buzz Lightyear that Woody with Manscaped. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use our code 20AMAZING. That's 20AMAZING to unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. So Christian, I'm totally jealous because you got to watch a series that I haven't had a chance to yet. Yeah, man, be jealous because I got to watch Star Wars Visions. You son of a bitch. Warning spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for Star Wars Visions. You have been warned. You've been guided by the Force since you were born. At last, the moment arrives. First time I've confronted such darkness. Something ancient and sinister. The concept of Star Wars Visions is kind of like a dream for me as an anime fan. From you know the first trailer, I was sold on the entire idea. Not that I even needed the you know push to be interested in this at all. 
and overall I enjoyed the series, but my feelings per episode went up and down. One moment I'm asking myself why on earth would they make this episode, and then by the end of the next I'm dying for them to make an entire series based off one concept alone. For starters, I could see this not being for every Star Wars fan out there, not just by the fact that not everyone binges anime like me, but that the studios really felt like they were given free reign to play around and make whatever they wanted. After all, these projects are inspired by Star Wars and don't have to stick to the canonical events. Lore fanatics may be turned off by how much a studio went outside the box when it comes to what we know about Star Wars. However, you can still see the passion and love for the mythos of Star Wars in every cell of this series, and some of the concepts and ideas were pretty interesting to say the least. I just feel like there was a couple episodes that missed the mark on a storytelling front. For example, episode 6, T.O.B. 1, had great concepts, but the way they were presented felt rust and a little lackluster. Also, some of the Star Wars tropes used throughout the series were also either very forced at times or overused. Like, I think there was only one episode someone didn't mention I have a bad feeling about this. But on the flip side, there were episodes that blended what they wanted to accomplish with their stories and the tropes of Star Wars that didn't seem obnoxious like the others. So again, as I said, there was really just a mixed bag in the storytelling front of this series. In my viewing, I did watch it with the English dub first, as that was the option preset by Disney Plus, and I was too lazy to change it. So at times, the out of sync nature of the voice acting was distracting, and there were a couple episodes where you could tell the Japanese track was most likely better suited, or the voice acting simply didn't do it justice. So I will be watching it a second time just to you know see if the experience is any different in Japanese with subtitles. But the series did star tons of martial arts film legends, and even more recent stars like Simu Liu from Shang-Chi. And of course, with multiple studios meant the animation varied from episode to episode. Even studios with multiple episodes have varying styles across their visions. I wouldn't say any studio outshined another, but some were obviously more polished than the others, and may not match up to the bigger budgeted anime that are being produced at this current time, but the art itself bleated Star Wars at its core and was beautiful nonetheless. This is definitely a series I would like to see continued, and I would really enjoy seeing what other studios' interpretations of Star Wars is. But for now, as far as my grade goes, I will be giving Visions a solid B. Well, now it's time for Christian's Corner. It's officially fall and holiday season ramps up the games world like no other. This week vying for the attention of the fickle gamer was Nintendo with their latest Nintendo Direct. While the final Smash Fighter wasn't announced, some of their announcements were Smash hits. The one that got my attention was our first look at Bayonetta 3 gameplay. The time is almost here as after Bayonetta's reveal three years ago, we finally got a release window announced along with this gameplay trailer. The game now set for a 2022 release gave us our look at the new design for Bayonetta. And while the getup is awesome and I love these games, I couldn't help but think back on that recent Sony presser and seeing games like Project Eve having, you know, these super high fidelity graphics in part of their hardware's power. While gameplay is always king, I can't help but wonder how good Bayonetta could look if it were made for PC or other competition. I'm excited to see this game reaching near release finally, but 
but unfortunately those were the thoughts I were having while watching this trailer. Another big trailer for the event was everyone's favorite little pink ball Kirby and the Forgotten Land. This 3D adventure looks like an absolute fun time. I especially enjoyed Kirby and you know Link's get up. Uh, the gameplay and graphics look on par with Mario Odyssey, just what I would expect from a Kirby title. This game is to land spring 2022. On top of new games, there were also some older experiences making big returns with Castlevania Advanced Collection being available on Switch right fucking now, and the original Knights of the Old Republic coming November 11th this year for Switch. And as we've already talked about on the show, Miyamoto came out and announced a Mario film from Illumination, so it was a pretty eventful Nintendo Direct, with promises for more news this October. So you'll probably hear some updates from me coming up soon. But in the meantime, why not stop by the Amazing Nerd Show's Twitch channel, live every Thursday through Sunday. Horror Month is coming to the live stream side as well, so you'll be seeing us get back into multiplayer experiences online with friends and some survival games all month long, on top of our already pretty stacked schedule. So, you know, make sure that you're following us today. This week's episode is brought to you by Smile Brilliant. Damon, if you're like me, you're constantly on the lookout for the best teeth whitening option on the market. Well, this week's sponsor, Smile Brilliance, has provided us with five important facts to keep in mind. Fact number one, teeth whitening does not whiten your teeth. It removes the stains and restores the tooth to its natural color. Natural colors vary per person, but for most, it's an off-white or slightly yellowish undertone. Fact number two, teeth whitening does not damage your teeth, but it does temporarily dehydrate them. When dehydrated, the pores in the enamel are open and exposed. Open pores invite acids and sugars, which we all know lead to tooth decay. Avoid or minimize acidic and sugary substances for at least 24 hours after whitening. Also avoid staining substances. The teeth are more susceptible to restaining during this period. Fact number three, tooth sensitivity is the result of tooth dehydration. When the pores of the enamel are open, the teeth become dehydrated, exposing the nerve to the elements. As the tooth rehydrates, the sensitivity will dissipate. To accelerate the rehydration and curb sensitivity, use a post-whitening application known as remillerization or desensitizing gel. Fact number four, Caps and veneers cannot be whitened because they do not have pores for the stains to latch onto. Prior to having dental work, you should whiten your teeth, restoring them to their natural color as the dentist will be color matching to your current shade. Fact five, the key to teeth whitening is the delivery device. So long as a whitening product is a peroxide based whitener, it will remove the stains. What differentiates one product from the next is the device that holds the whitening agent to the tooth without interruption. You know, whitening strips neglect the crevices and molars and they slide on your teeth. Saliva will flood the generic trays because they are bulky and don't create an actual seal. Oh, and you likely did not know this, but LED lights are novelty items that add no benefits. You need a high output UV light only found at the dentist. Don't fall for the you know gimmick. 
If you insist on a light that does not work, get one on Amazon for $5. The number one whitening device recommended by Dennis is the custom fitted tray. You can have a dentist make your trays for $300 to $600, or you can head over to smilebrilliant.com and use their lab direct mail-in process for a fraction of the price you would pay at a dentist. Oh, and if you grind your teeth at night, you can also purchase a Smile Brilliant custom fitted night guard. Once again, for a fraction of the price you would spend at a dentist. That's right. Make sure you head over to Smile Brilliant and use our promo code NERD. That spells nerd for an exclusive amazing nerd show discount. Once again, that's smilebrilliant.com and use our coupon code NERD for an exclusive amazing nerd show discount. And remember, guys, don't be an idiot. Smile Brilliant. And look at this. Both men up to the top. Omega. Oh my God. Oh my. This ought to do it, folks. Near leg is up. The champion's got the cover and a near fall. The fans are cheering because they don't want this match to end. David, this week we got the Grand Slam event. AEW finally showed up in New York. That's right, a two-night historic event at Arthur Ashe Stadium that was pretty much sold out. I believe they announced, what, 18,000? Well, regardless, the crowd was white hot, and it definitely had a big pay-per-view feel to it. We're going to go ahead and break down the first night of Grand Slam, uh, Dynamite. So, unfortunately, we're recording this on Wednesday, so we're only going to be able to break down night one of AEW's Grand Slam. Tune in next week, and we'll talk night two on the Rampage side of things. But, yeah, here on Dynamite, things were incredibly incredibly exciting as even like the first ring bell led to the crowd popping and full electricity <laughs> yeah and who could blame them because we started off the night with the dream match Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega in a non-title match and to top everything off this is actually Brian Danielson's debut match in the promotion so no pressure even if there was pressure I mean they killed it in this match uh, it's, this felt like, like you brought up pay-per-view feel. This felt like main event at WrestleMania yes. level, like quality of a match. And I just, I was so impressed between the two of them. Yeah, man. I'm not going to lie. Like I get like serious, like Hogan, like rock vibes <laughs> from this match. Like the opening, mm -hmm. just the standoff between the two. And just like you said, the crowd popping at the, you know, just the ringing of the bell and the lockup. Just amazing. Um, this match had everything you possibly want. I mean, hard hitting, beautiful wrestling, just fantastic pacing and my, like it, transitions that literally gave me chills when uh, <laughs> Daniel Bryan at the end, like goes for the label lock, you know, and flipped him over. I, I seriously got chills. Like I, I almost got choked up. It was so beautiful. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating, man. It was just so wonderful. Like, and just knowing that we're going to get more of this, you know, mm. uh, just amazing. Uh, they left tons of meat on the bone, even like going to the time limit. You know, it was a time limit draw, of course. I, I wasn't disappointed with that. Like I knew right from the top when Ross mentioned, you know, that it's a 30 minute time limit. I was like, oh, they're totally going to draw. <laughs> that's, that's happening. You know, because usually, I mean, the ring announcer will say it, but the fact that Ross mm. like emphasized it and I had my sneaking suspicions that was the route that they would go here just because like, I mean, it's kind of a conundrum, right? Like 
does, you know, Omega lose another match in a month, you know, after he lost to Christian just like on Rampage with the second episode of, you know, Um, but then at the same time, like you don't want, you know, Brian Danielson to lose his debut match in the the promotion. So where do you go? AEW is not going to do a schmaz finish. They're not going to do like tons of interference or weird DQ. I think there's literally been one DQ the entire history of the promotion at this point, right? So, I mean, draw makes sense. And that way you give these two artists enough time to really like, you know, paint on their canvas and tell the story that they want to tell, which was just, like I said, fucking amazing. So uh, I can't wait for the rematch. I don't know if it's going to be down the line, you know, or if we're going to get right away at the next pay-per-view. I have a feeling they're probably going to make Brian go to the end of the line and like have to earn that number one contendership. Um, That's where I think it's probably going because I feel like that's a story that Brian's going to want to tell. He's going to want to wrestle the rest of the roster. Mm. Um, But I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, do a rematch at the next pay-per-view either. So we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I I just feel like it's probably going to be they'll they'll cut an angle next week being like Brian's asking for the rematch. He said probably like, oh, I could have won that or something. And then Kenny will do the classic heel thing and just be like, nah and move on and mm-hmm. then they'll probably throw him back because i i do want to see him go up against the rest of the roster especially after this performance i want to see what his style against all these very different and interesting styles that AEW has you know going forward i definitely think if they do have a rematch soon i feel like omega is gonna go over because i still yeah. feel like the, the person who takes that belt from omega is gonna be hangman you know, and you can't tell me any differently. I feel like that's still the story that they're telling. I don't know when Hangman's supposed to, like, you know, make it his way back to AEW. But I can't imagine, like, how huge of a pop that's going to be. Mm. So that's going to be a major moment. I feel like that's really where they're headed when it comes to Omega's, like, story arc um, as champion. So, um, but, you know... Hell, if they want to have a little interlude, you know, with Brian Danielson and Kenny Omega, I, I'm fucking here for it, right? Yeah, nothing wrong with that. But I do hope that Paige is back soon. I want to see that conclusion. I want to see that story come yeah. to an end. Yeah. Um, the, I think the one criticism I have of the match is more on the production side of things. I wish they were announcing the times throughout the match, you know, kind of New Japan style. You know, where, you know, there's 10 minutes left, there's five minutes left, there's one minute left, and then you go down. Because I felt like I only heard one, like, you know, time announcement at the very last minute. And I don't know if I just missed the other ones. No, I'm I'm in the same boat. I didn't really hear it until they started saying 45 seconds left. But they yes. usually do, like, a like a halftime one at they, least. They did, like, he said, well, he said one minute, but then I was, I was like, was that one minute or was it two minutes? Because I couldn't really make it out. And mm. then Excalibur luckily like jumped in and said, okay, these guys got 45 seconds left. I was like, oh shit. Um, so, but that's it. I mean, that's really nitpicking. But I think that really kind of would have cued the crowd like kind of, you know, subconsciously like where the match yeah. was headed. Because they were definitely not happy at the end. <laughs> but I mean, how could you be upset with this, like I said, instant classic? Honestly, I mean, I feel like that's why they put it at the front, too. I mean, not only because everyone was here just to see that match, but like (laughs) because they knew the ending was going to probably get 
a kind of sour reception, but they had plenty of great card yeah. to go after that anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, you got a half hour match between Omega yes. and Brian Danielson. <laughs> How could you fucking complain? So, um, but yeah, no, I, like I said, I'm looking forward to whatever's in the future for these two. Um, and CM Punk said it best. How do you follow that? Well, they followed it with a promo from him, um, <laughs> you know, talking about like what's going on with you know how he should be pissed off, which he very much wasn't because the crowd just cheered him up that much. But it was an electric he crowd. I literally walked him. out on the ramp saying, uh-huh. I'm supposed to be mad. <laughs> <laughs> And then smiling because he got such a big reaction when he came uh-huh. out. I thought this was the perfect buffer between the first two matches, um, you know, because the crowd it's it woke up the crowd and everything after that finish, you know, and got the crowd kind of energized again. Um, I love, you know, Punk on the mic. You could tell mm. he's just winging it and just kind of going off the feel of the crowd. Um, he was able to turn on that anger um, and it didn't feel forced. You know, even, you know, regardless of his, you know, first, you know, couple lines of like, how do you fucking follow that? And then like he leaned into the whole like, I know I'm supposed to be mad, but, you know, right now you're getting happy punk. I don't know how long he's going to last, but he definitely sold me on the issues between him and Team Taz here. So and I like seeing punk like finally kind of like firing up here because we haven't seen that. You know, we didn't see that with, you know, him and Darby, really. You know, that was all kind of really like cordial and respectful where now he's actually got like a bona fide feud going on. So Mm. I can't wait for him to like kind of like, you know, turn it up a gear. Uh, Speaking of Team Taz, I was actually pretty disappointed. You know, Ricky Starks is really good on the mic and stuff. And we've we've seen him do plenty of great promos so far. Uh, He was on commentary last week on Rampage and. I, I don't know. I, I I felt like he was just half assing it like throughout the entire show. Well, there, I didn't really feel that now, much like chemistry on the mic. So there. I didn't think he was bad, you know, uh, doing commentary. But like doing a promo is one thing. Being on commentary is a whole different thing. And then you add in the aspect of being in a four man booth. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty fucking impossible. Like, you know, <laughs> you're just fighting for airtime at that point. So I would I thought he was fine. It's not going to be a regular thing with him. Um, so I don't know. He does commentary on dark sometimes. Uh, OK. And I don't know. I, I thought he was pretty natural. It's just like it's hard to get your shit in when you've got so many voices competing for airtime. I hate the fact that, you know, <laughs> they have such a large booth for, you know, Rampage. They really like all you need, honestly, is Excalibur and Taz. And that's mm-hmm. fine. If you want to have like a guest here and there, great. But I don't even need Jericho like in there, honestly. So I don't know. Like it felt so weird when Santana and Ortiz came out and, you know, Chris Jericho is just on the mic saying, yeah, those are my boys. It's like, shouldn't you be like either assisting them or showing some type of like connection to what's going on? You seem so lost as to why they're even like just randomly showing up and... you yeah you would think that he'd be a little more fired up about it uh-huh. and like want to help out <laughs> yeah i just don't like having active wrestlers doing yes. commentary so because it just like logically story-wise it doesn't make much sense when you have you know a faction like the inner circle and you're doing commentary on the match and you're not feeling as invested as you should be you know in the storyline because you should be part of that storyline then if you're a true blue faction. So I agree 100%. Exactly. Well, in our next match, we had MJF followed by Wardlow defeating Brian Pillman Jr. Yes, bringing dishonor to his family, according to JR. 
Yeah, I just I, I hated like last week's little sit down interview with JR because I felt like they're really setting up Pillman for failure. You know, like calling him out, basically saying he's got to like, you know, bring honor to his family's name, you know, knowing that he's going to fucking lose this match. There's no way he's exactly. being MJF. <laughs> so I just kind of hated that. Um, but at the same time, you know, I thought the match was good. It was a solid match. Um, you know, Pillman's still green, but at the same time, I didn't feel like the moment was too big for him. And you could still see like tons of potential with him. Where in like a year or two, like, I mean, the dude's going to be a bona fide superstar, honestly. So um, it's just, you know, these are matches that are going to get him there. So um, it wasn't necessarily like the cleanest win either. So, I mean, you had MJF, of course, use a heart, you know, on the outside as like kind of a buffer at one point, you know, causing a distraction. And then he was able to catch um, you know, Pillman when he went off the top rope and his salt of the earth armbar. So, so that at least left a little something for Pillman, you know? So it's like, you know, what could have been at least, but when I saw Hart out there with them, I was like, Oh, MJF is totally going to use her, you know, yeah. in some way <laughs> in the finish. And that's what happened. I mean, do you think they use, you know, him failing in this as like an angle? Maybe they break up the varsity blondes at some point, goes down a darker path. Maybe, maybe he, like he blames her. I could see that. That's not a bad story. Um, bring kind of an edge to the character. You know, does he do like, you know, kind of a, a remix of his dad's loose cannon like persona? Um, I don't know if they want to go there, but he uh-huh. definitely feels very <laughs> much like, you know, the flying Brian, you know, mm-hmm. version of his dad right now. So, you know, eventually maybe he goes there. I don't know. But I do agree. I see a lot of potential in him. Every time you see him flying around the ring, no pun intended. I mean, he just looks great. It's those it's those moments that I think when the match slows down that I notice a little bit more of the quirks that he still has to work on. A lot of his strike game is very slow moving yes. and stuff like that. It's more of doing like the promos and kind of the storyline mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but he'll get there. Like I said, it's not bad by any means. No. Like we've seen, you know, 10 times worse. But, you know, for him to be in a program with someone who's, you know, a main event caliber talent like MGF, it did kind of stick out a little. But, you know, this is character building for him. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, up next, we had Malachi Black defeating the returning Cody Rhodes with Brandy Rhodes and Arn Anderson at ringside. So, like, Cody's totally doubling down on this heel turn, right? Like, with that outfit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, because the, the, the one from, like, last pay-per-view that he's been wearing was totally Homelander. But this was, like, Homelander on fucking, like, crack. Like, <laughs> this was ridiculous looking. So, I mean, full cape, the whole, like, you know, nine yards. Um, Brandy was back, you know, on, you know, at his side. And I'm not going to lie, when I saw her, I thought, like, she would somehow play into the finish, which I was happy that that didn't happen. Because a lot of times in Cody's matches, there are, there's a lot of Gaga, right? And we mm. did definitely get Gaga, you know, with this match, but just not as much as I was suspecting. I think with this, the, the Gaga in this match, I, I enjoyed it a little bit more than what we usually get. Like, I liked a little bit more of the story that we're getting with Arn actually yelling at him and telling him, go after the dude. What are you doing over here? Helping mm-hmm. me out. You even, know, I love those little moments. Even that completely. <laughs> yeah, it, it was fine. You know, I, it's, Arn. it's an old man running around the ring. It's, it's things happen. He was trending. Like, I felt so bad for oh, him. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> he got on the wrong side of the ring. 
you can hear Cody tell him you got on the wrong side of the ring. Like, over there, he points to the other side. Arn then tries to, you know, walk around the apron to get to the other side. And then uh-huh. he, like, slips off, like, off the ring when he gets to the post. Um, at first, I was like, is this supposed to be part of the show? Or was that the real deal? But no, he got back on that, you know, apron right away. And, you know, yeah, no. It was definitely just a botched spot. And it is what it is, you know. I mean, the guy's close to 60 years old. It's going to fucking happen. Mm. If he's not 60 years old, honestly. Um, they were still able to, like, salvage the spot. Um, yeah. The crowd was 100% behind Black here. And, I mean, part of that's definitely due to, like, them just be excited that, you know, they have Malachi Black in AEW. He's still new. But at the same time, I feel like people are getting kind of just exhausted with Cody and, you know, this persona, this version of him in, like, all of his storylines recently. Um, you know, like I said before, they've been very overindulgent and it kind of plays mm-hmm. up into, like, this whole, like, egotistical side of his character. I also think all the commercials for that, you know, what roads to the top, what are they calling that show? <laughs> yeah road to the top top. or whatever that's definitely not helping him at all you know Uh, (laughs) but i think he i think he realizes it and they're leaning into it now because i i definitely feel like it's going to become part of the storyline you know and that turn is happening sooner than later we had arn get kind of pissed off at cody like you were saying you know when he went on the outside you know to check on arn you know arn pushed him away right away you know and told him to get in the ring which you know he did um cody was definitely distracted at that point though and apparently you know black has been training with the great muda and asuka and he's learned the ability to spit the poisonous blinding mist <laughs> which i actually <laughs> popped for i won't lie i think they were called Calling it on uh, commentary, like his corruption. Oh, and I God. thought, oh, well, <laughs> it's yes, it, it's cringeworthy. Let him name but, it at least. Like, <laughs> I, Sure. Who knows? Maybe he told him that's what I, it was. That's fine. <laughs> but let him say it first. You're like, that's his corruption. Like, what? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Could you see them turning that into the angle that finally pushes over uh, Cody to heal him? Like, oh, he got corrupted by Malachi Black. Oh, dear God. I No. They do enough voodoo on the other channel. They don't need that uh-huh. here. I don't need Malachi Black to have spooky powers. Okay? <laughs> I could just have him being a dude who's really scary, who dabbles in the occult, and, like, call it a day. Right? You know, it could be part of the presentation, but it doesn't need to be, like, you know, where he's these extraordinary, like, abilities. So, I mean, Fair I, like I said, I get enough of that on the other channels. So <laughs> I'm good. I'm good with that. Especially I feel like this is weak storytelling, like his miss somehow is corrupting. No. That definitely uh-huh. feels like a Pritchard McMahon angle, you know, that they just haven't gotten over <laughs> since, you know, the days of fucking Papa Shango. Overall, I thought it was an entertaining enough match. Um, like I said, I was happy that we didn't get tons of Gaga. We still got some, though. Like, I don't need Brandy, you know, sitting crisscross, you know, in front of uh, Malachi Black. Like, I thought that was mm. a little much. But they definitely had a story, and I thought they told it well. Do you think they're going to do a rematch? That's, I mean, they I, typically don't work big programs like that. No, I don't think they'll do another rematch after this one. I think that was the—I think that was it for them, right? I don't know. We'll see. I mean— 
you know, does the story now turn between like, you know, Cody and Arn? Like, is that where we're going? I mean, that's what we've been saying is going to happen, you know, for the last year and Since a half. But came out as his coach. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how the crowd reacts to Cody, too, when he's not going mm. up against Black. But I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if they do do a rematch here because I feel like there is still, you know, more story to be told. But, like, I, I don't want to see Cody beating Black, you know, anytime yeah. soon. Unless, you know, this is where Cody breaks bad, you know, and this is where, you know, we have the heel turn. It's because he can't be black. Exactly. Like, I don't want to see another storyline where we like what we just got with MJF versus Jericho or we see the same match four to five times. You know, I don't I don't need to see these guys going up against each other a million times. No, I agree. I agree. And that was spread out like along an entire year. So this would be just a couple of months. (laughs) Um I mean, maybe like Tony Khan, like saw some early screeners of, you know, Cody's new reality show and was like, there's no way I can't like not turn you heel at this point because <laughs> those fucking commercials, man, they're just brutal. I was like, oh, my yeah. God. Like, can you be more unlikable? <laughs> well, before our next match, we had Sammy Guevara call out Miro for attacking his friend Fuego Del Sol. Um, and taking his car keys. Yes, uh, this sets up a match for next week on Dynamite, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, do you think Sammy actually ends up winning the title here? Um, I don't. I, I definitely think Miro is going to put Sammy through that car. I'm waiting for someone to go through that windshield. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to call it. I'm going to say Sammy wins the belt. You think Sammy's going to take it I already? think he's going to take the belt. Yeah. I think he's going to catch Miro. He's going to win the belt. I think it's Sammy's time to shine now. I think working a program with Miro and capturing the TNT championship is, you know, the way to really do it. I mean, he's plenty over. I could totally see him capturing the title. I just don't know if I'm ready for Miro to give up being the champion just yet. I mean, he won't give up, obviously, but losing the title just yet. No, no. And I, I, I get it. But when is the right time? You know, it's not like it's only, you know, he's only had the belt for a month, you know, at this point. He's had it for a while. He's had lots of great matches. He's worked a couple programs. I think he can get into a program with Sammy. Now that it seems like, you know, AEW is more willing to do rematches too. You know, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, Guevara wins the belt and then they have a rematch at the pay-per-view. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's going to hurt Miro to drop the belt at this point. No, I don't. He's he's over. He's he's a great character. I love every promo yes. we get from Miro. Amazing promos. <laughs> Amazing. He keeps bringing up his wife, so I'm assuming Lana's going to have some type of appearance yeah. at some point. I agree. Um, so we'll see. Up next, we had a tag match between Sting, Darby Allen, and FTR with Sting and Darby Allen going over. Can someone please tell Sting that he's like 60-something years old? <laughs> like, he worked the majority of this fucking match. I was pretty surprised and it was, to see how long he was in the ring. It was fucking fantastic, though. <laughs> like, uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, look at Sting go. Like, it was like 1998 all over again. I don't know, man. I was surprised. Uh, maybe Darby's like a little banged up or something. Because I was like, man, Sting is really working a lot of this fucking match. <laughs> I don't know. Because like, I just remember thinking about his WWE matches. And I was like, oh, my, he's going to break something or he's going to get really hurt. But now he's over here in AEW and he's just killing yeah. it. It's yeah. 
it's incredible. <laughs> I mean, he's also in the ring with FTR, who are just amazing, and I, yes. I love that we're getting more and more FTR on the on TV every week. I hope that continues because it felt like they got lost in the shuffle for a while. Yes. Um, you know, they were rocking, you know, obviously gear inspired by a new Amazing Nerd Show shirt that you can get over on tpublic.com. Yeah. Um, Big fans of the yes, show, obviously. obviously. <laughs> I thought that was weird, though, that they're rocking NWO stuff because they don't feel like guys yeah, who would it, really like the NWO, right? <laughs> I don't think that fits with, like, the pinnacle look at all or anything like that. I was like very confused. I mean, they looked awesome in it, and I totally want a shirt um, to go with our own, of course. Make sure you go ahead and pick that mm-hmm. up at tpublic.com. There's a sale going on right now. Um, but, you know, they've been doing, they're more of an old school team, you know? So they've been paying tribute to the late great Bobby Eden with their um, Midnight Express trunks lately. Mm-hmm. So I was really surprised to see them wearing, you know, kind of a tribute to the NWO. Uh, but it was still cool. Uh, but enough of Damon's wrestling fashion corner. <laughs> <laughs> I love this match. I thought it was well done. Uh, do you feel like we're going to be leading to seeing Tully in the ring against Sting? I don't know if they'll have an actual match. If they did, it'd probably be a like tag. a bunch of shenanigans or something. Or a tag. Yeah. Maybe like a, a six man or yeah. something like this. You have FTR and like, you know, Tully versus Sting and Darby and someone else. I don't know who else they pick up, you know, along the way, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see them maybe going that route or, or maybe they feel like, you know, just seeing Sting and Tully interact in these matches is enough to kind of scratch that itch. Uh, personally, it's enough. For me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I will give Tully credit when he did actually wrestle a match. Mm-hmm. It wasn't bad. Like, he, uh, I mean, once again, for a six year old man to be out there, you know, you know, hanging with these young kids. I was pretty impressed, but no, I, I don't necessarily need that. So, so do you think the feud here is done with, or do you think it continues? Like, do we eventually get Darby versus MJF? Cause he went against Sean Spears. He went against, um, FTR is Darby kind of working his way through the pinnacle. You know, I haven't really noticed it like that. And until you just mentioned, it, but I could see that. I mean, who, who does MJF really have to go up against at this point? Yeah. After his match, he just yeah, had. he's wide open uh, storyline wise. So exactly, and you have like you know both of these upcoming you know young talents who feel like main eventers already. I mean, it does kind of work story wise. I mean, I'd definitely be down for whatever the story they put out there because I know MJF is going to tear into Darby, and Darby's definitely going to look great in a match against MJF. So I can't imagine you know this failing in any I mean, single way. Sting is definitely going to need like a month off after this match. <laughs> so maybe they do an angle where they take out Sting like in the back or something like that. So it's like Darby on his own against MGF. Like you know, I could, I could see them going that route. You're gonna see Sting coming down from the rafters again. <laughs> it's gonna be old school, old fashioned. Oh my god, Sting right? and Darby. That'd be fucking yes. like in stereo. <laughs> yes. That would be amazing. <laughs> well, last but not least, we had the AEW Women's World Championship in the main event where Dr. Britt Baker ended up retaining her title against Ruby Soho. So I really enjoyed this match. I was super happy that they got to main event. Um, I thought they had great chemistry together. It definitely had a big match feel to it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you could tell that they've worked together before. Um, you know, and I like that they've kind of been like digging into that backstory. Did you see the promo between the two on Rampage? Yes, I did. Just amazing, man. 
Like, the fact that, like, in, like, five years, they didn't give Ruby any mic time over on the WWE. I mean, just how ridiculous do they look now? Like, she knocked it out of the fucking park. <laughs> I know. They booked her like a mute. It was crazy. Like, she never really got to chance no, to talk. No, And the, I mean, I think that's part of the reason why she never got over. Because, like, we didn't even understand what the point of the riot squad was, right? You remember talking about uh, that? It's like, I don't, like, cool, stable, but, like, why? Like, what? What? what's your story? <laughs> <laughs> why is there a Viking? Yeah. Like, what's... <laughs> <laughs> Apparently Vince saw uh, Suicide Squad, and that's why he put that team mm-hmm. together. I guess, whatever. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I'm so happy that she's getting mic time and really just you know flexing her muscles and showing what she's capable of. Um, I I enjoyed this match. I did kind of bump up, you know. Just I don't know. I think the crowd was a little torn, and I thought that was unfortunate. I think that kind of kept them like getting into it as much as they could have you know with like Britt being this kind of weird in between her heel you know the heel that everyone mm-hmm. loves and like ruby at the same time being this like super baby face just debuting with the promotion it just felt like the crowd didn't know who to cheer for but it was a really strong match and we finally got like a taste of ruby at her like full potential like what we were hoping for when she debuted in nxt you know, all the way when, you know, mm-hmm. um, so because we really got like a watered down version of her just because she wasn't getting ring time on the main roster, um, you know, in the WWE. So as like, OK, I, I definitely want to see more of this because, like I said before, like, I feel like she's the potential of really like elevating AEW's women's division, um, you know, and that's just based off of glimmers of things that we saw from her in WWE and that like, you know, small amount of time that she did get on, on the screen. No, exactly. Like she had fantastic matches in NXT and a couple here. And when she had a chance in WWE, yeah. no, exactly. Exactly. I like that. She has more of a grounded, like offense, a lot of suplexes, mm-hmm. a lot of like, you know, ground and pound type stuff. It's just really nice to see her full, like skill set, you know, her full arsenal, if you will, on display here. Exactly. I mean, as you said before, um, they've definitely worked yes. together multiple times. There's there's this great spot where Britt explodes out of the corner and they go into this grapple transition. And it's so just so fluid and beautiful. And as we've said on the show before, um, Soho knows how to sell yes. everything yes. every time. She's able to, like, convey it, you know, the pain she's going through and make everything feel real. I wasn't surprised at all with the finish. I, I had a feeling it was going to be due to outside interference, you know, with, mm-hmm. you know, Rebel. And I wasn't surprised at all with the finish. You know, I had a feeling like, you know, Ruby was going to end up losing, you know, due to outside interference from, you know, Rebel and Jamie Hager. And I, I'm I'm super happy to say that Rebel had like a couple spots in this match and she didn't fuck them up. Right? No. <laughs> all went well. They were hitting on all <laughs> cylinders tonight. Because <laughs> whenever Rebel gets up on the apron, I literally, like, my body just starts to fucking do a full <laughs> cringe. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, dear God. <laughs> She's either going to get hurt or make something just look awful. So, uh-huh. um, but yeah, no, I, really good match. Um, I'm excited for the future for Ruby. Uh, where do you think they go from here? Did does she get a rematch? 
I mean, this is AEW. They don't typically do a lot of rematches. You know, does she fall to like, you know, the back of the line? Do we see Thunder Rosa get like involved now? I don't know, because I also think it's almost uh, still a little too soon for Thunder Rosa to get that title match just yet. I could see like Ruby and, you know, Rosa like teaming up against Brit and, you know, Hager, like maybe like having like a tag match. And that way you okay. eventually transition to, you know, Thunder Rosa versus Brit down the line, maybe at the next pay-per-view, which I think it was in November. Mm. Right. Yeah, I think uh, full gear is November six. Okay. okay, so it's early November. Um, yeah, yeah, like I could see them building to a match then, or maybe even a, the the tag match I'm talking about. You know, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they introduce like tag titles for the women's division soon, because I feel like the roster is getting big enough that they could have you know tag titles now, and it you know storyline wise it gives the other women something to do if they're not in that like you know you know, world title picture. And mm-hmm. Khan has been kind of hinting like something, you know, big happening in the women's division at some point, you know, s- s- soon. So, I mean, I-, I wouldn't be surprised by that. I mean, recently, uh, Tony Khan has been kind of teasing, you know, something, you know, you know, big happening in the women's division or for the women's division. So I feel like that would be major. And I do feel like they have the roster for it at this point. So, um, I think there's a lot of potential with like a Ruby Soho Thunder Rosa team. You know, especially as like your first like tag team champions. I hear you. But then, okay, so who goes up against Brit for the title? Because you have Jade Cargill right now in third. Oh, are you looking at the contendership? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I looked it up. <laughs> Who's on it? I'm curious. Um, it's Ruby was number one, Thunder Rosa two, uh, Jade Cargill three, uh, Sheeta was four, and then Tay Conti is five. I could see Tay Conti, you know, eventually getting there. Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe they bring someone from another promotion. Um, I would love to see Britt go against Leia Hirsch, just because I love Leia Hirsch, and I, <laughs> I just love her style. Um, maybe even Anna Jay. She just returned, so I mm. feel like there's a lot of potential for a feud there. Um, but I don't know. Who knows? I mean, they they their roster is getting bigger and bigger, where I think they there are a lot of potential contenders. I mean, to get back to your tag titles thing, I I'm I'm OK with that because, you know, AEW has had such a big emphasis on tag team wrestling. Whereas, you know, when I look at WWE and I know how they treat the tag titles, I've always. Yeah. You know, I know they don't yeah. care. You know, I, I know it's never going to be a story that matters. So I'm trying to get that out of my <laughs> mind when I think about, you know, the women's tag division in AEW. I think it would be good for the division. And I think it would just, you know, give the women more screen time that they just desperately mm. need at this point. Because I feel like your roster is getting bigger and bigger and one match per show isn't cutting it anymore, especially when you have the talent that you have. You know, I mean, we've seen Rio like twice since she's returned. You know, Sheeta's just kind of fallen off the face of the planet. You know, I yes. want to see. And that was your yes, champion. And I want to see for a, almost a year, right? If not over a year. Mm-hmm. I want to see more like, you know, just feuds for the sake of feuds. And then I want to see more feuds that don't revolve around the world title. Like, you know, and I think the tag titles, you know, does that for you. But then you could also have just a good old fashioned blood feud. <laughs> you know, we did get that yes. with, you know, Brit and Thunder Rosa for a bit, but. You know, they ended up outshining the 
the world title eventually. And it felt like Sheeta was kind of pushed in the background. So like, let's have multiple, you know, angles going on with the women where, you know, they get more, you know, TV time. Well deserved TV time at this point. But once again, I mean, they definitely have a bloated roster all around. I mean, it's not a mm. bad problem to have to have all these great wrestlers to like choose from. But I feel like they need that extra hour of TV time every week. <laughs> so I'm still holding out hope that Rampage eventually does expand to, you know, two hours instead of one. And maybe, you know, this week will be kind of like, you know, a testing ground for that and see how that works. Exactly. I'm very curious what like what the ratings are going to look like for that second hour. I mean, it's a tough time slot, you know, them being mm-hmm. on what eight central nine, nine Eastern, you know, that means the show ends up going to like what 11 Eastern. But at the same time, if TNT realizes, okay, there's no way that this show is going to do the numbers that dynamite does. And they're okay with that. From what I understand, the show's still doing gangbusters compared to what they used to have, you know, in that time slot you know, before, you know, Mm -hmm. Rampage started. So I don't know. Why not? Well, of course, we'll talk about Rampage next week um, since we are recording this on a Wednesday, unfortunately. Stupid schedule. (laughs) 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 Who drops a podcast Saturday morning? What the fuck? (laughs) You you know, we control that. We can... We choose to it's do this. It's our schedule, whenever. man. It's because we talk about so many damn things that I mean, hey, yeah. I got to give you time to edit the fucking show. Yes, you do. <laughs> well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours to continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, Christian, next week is the kickoff of our fourth annual Horror Month. So we'll be, of course, celebrating all things horror. We'll be counting down some of our favorites in the genre, plus tons of horror film reviews because... For once in October, they're actually releasing a whole lot of horror films. Crazy, right? Fuck you. (laughs) But we'll have all the Halloween goodness that you could shake a boomstick at. And of course, we'll be talking wrestling next week because, you know, there's probably something extreme coming out of WWE's Extreme Rules. I fucking hate you. (laughs) (laughs) My name's Christian. My name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Dirt Show. Excuse me, Lori. Oh, Mr. Brackett, I'm sorry, Mr. Brackett. Oh, I didn't mean to startle you. That's all right. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh?